morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to the TT Podcast. Finally, a women's Tour de France is back on the calendar. Starting in Paris, we've got eight stages, four gravel sectors, and a brutally steep finale on the Super Planche des Belles Filles. It is time for the much-anticipated Tour de France fam avec Zwift, and joining me to preview the race is my co-host Tom. Tom, how are you? Hi everyone. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Uh, it's good to be back. We've uh, had a longer pause than usual since we last recorded. So yeah. Hi everyone. Yeah, and, and for, for no real reason, really. To be honest, it's been. I'd be. I was traveling back from France, and uh, I'd say I was jet lagged. But there's no real country that's closer to uh, to the UK than France. So that's not an excuse. And you're um, in a car. Yeah, um, but we'll we'll do a bumper episode on the men's Tour de France sometime next week. At the moment, Tom, I'm very excited for the women's Tour de France. So am I. It's uh, really good to see them, you know, getting a, a, a proper race rather than, uh, you know, I think in the past they've just sort of paid lip service because they think they have to. And uh, yeah, now they seem to be taking it seriously. Yeah. Um, Tom, do you mind if I start off with a little history lesson here? Uh, not at all. Wonderful. Well, I have been doing a lot of research on the Women's Tour de France because I'm actually writing quite a long form piece um, as part of my studies at the moment. And you will hear a lot kind of in the run-up, you might have heard a lot in the run-up to this, that this is being called the inaugural Tour de France fam of X-Swift. That is true, but it is not the first ever Women's Tour de France. Now that was in, Tom, do you know when the first ever Women's Tour de France was? Uh, right, so we were just talking about this off-air and I said the 80s. So uh, 1984. 1955. Okay, I was way off, yeah. It was a single edition race. And it was won by an Isle of Man rider, a Manx rider called Millie Robinson. Um, but after that one year, it was kind of pulled from the calendar. It didn't get the media coverage they thought it would, um, probably because they didn't really give it a chance to. It then came back in the 1980s for six editions. And you are correct in saying that, that was 1984. Um, <laughs> I had no idea that was a complete guess that year, but I'll take it. Yeah. Well, you were correct. Um, the women, the kind of plan was that the women raced the last. 70 kilometers or so of the men's routes which is not really a way to organize a race it's kind of a cheap cop-out way to do it but over the six years the number of stages reduced from 18 in the first edition to 12 by 1989 the last edition and then it was pulled from the calendar um after that kind of 25 years passed and there was a lot of ardent campaigning from riders within the camp and La Course was introduced in 2014. Now, this tended to be a kind of criterium style race that, despite promises from the organizers, never grew beyond a single day event. So kind of over the last 70 years, we've had a sequence of what I'm going to call false dawns for women cycling. But now I think we get the impression that this year's race is a real turning point. I think I think it's a turning point, definitely. Even before we get to talking about the route and the riders, you can see um, sort of the level of organisation the ASR put into it. They've got a lot more dedicated TV coverage and and the media surrounding it. Um, yeah, they're giving it the exposure that it merits uh, rather than, like I said, just sort of paying lip service before and saying, look, here is our women's race. Well, should we, should we go through the route then? Should we start with that? By all means, yeah, let's do it. Now, let's have a look. All... The stages play out in northeast France, which I think is a bit of a shame. There's eight stages, of course, all of them in that one kind of area of France. Yeah. Um, as I say, I think it's a shame, but I think logistically, 
we've got teams at this tour. There are 24 teams at this Tour de France and a handful of them are on a proper shoestring budget. So I think, I mean, I don't know the decision to do that, but I imagine it was something to do with the fact that some of these teams are not going to be able to afford to lug everything around the entirety of the country. Well, I think this is as well. Look, if it's if it's going to be a one week, eight stage race, you, you can't fit all of France in in that time, can you? You, you know, they'd have to be doing three hundred k stages. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make yeah. sense. Um, and obviously, I think I think the idea of this race. Well, I'm sure the idea with the race is that it's going to grow, maybe not year on year, but kind of over the next decade, sustainably, so that the teams can also grow along with that and can afford to, you know, travel around a bit more. But stage yeah. one, the first stage is essentially a carbon copy of the first ever La Course event that took place in 2014. It is a criterium race on Paris's Champs-Élysées. Um, that year it was won by Mariana Voss. This year, she's back on the start list. Yeah, starting at the Eiffel Tower as well. I assume they're just going to go around and take in everything Paris has to offer on the way because a big you know, showcase for the event. Yeah, it's, it's 11 or 12 laps. And I think the interesting thing is with the men's race, the final day in Paris is a bit of a procession because it's the last day. Mm-hmm. Now, that first ever La Course in 2014, it was raced flat out criterium style. Um, and obviously with the terrain of the Champs-Élysées being cobbles, that meant that quite a few riders got punctures. And when you get a puncture, when it's being raced at that speed, you can get That's caught out and you lose contact yeah. and it's game over on the first day. So don't expect this to be the procession that we usually expect of the men's race. I know, it's worth saying, obviously, that... Um the cobbles on the Champs-Élysées are nothing like the cobbles uh, in the rest of northern France when you're on your way up to Roubaix, which, you know, the the, the Champs-Élysées is driven over by a million cars every day and they are worn down a lot more than the, than, than the Arenberg Trench. <laughs> but uh, still, and even, you know, when, they, when the men get to that final stage in Paris, they're still there going, yeah, you want to be on the side of the road in like the, in the drainage bits where it's flat and not bumpy. Yeah, and I mean, I mean anyone that's been to that stage and seen it or heard it mainly you'll hear that they rattle mm. over those cobbles so even though they are as you say tom kind of pedigree cobbles you still feel it up through your uh up through your bones but yes yeah, i'm you're right yeah it's the cause but that first day i can't see you might get caught out but at the same time i can't see anyone taking big risks no i mean the, the, the first day is just one for the sprinters to claim yeah first yellow jersey i think I'm correct in saying this is the first yellow jersey awarded to a woman since 1989. Because I don't think, of course, did yellow jerseys. You're the uh, you're the history buff on this one, so uh... okay. Well, we'll go with that, and somebody yep. can fact check us and tweet us. <laughs> um, and I mean, there's only one person that we think is going to win that stage, and we will come onto that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's look at stage two. Essentially, a flat stage with a false flat finish into Provence. 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 Yeah, it's, 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 I'll be honest with you, Tom. There's a lot of places here that I've never seen before. So the this pronunciation is, this is banch all over again. <laughs> this is banch all over again. Like Grant Thomas calling it bincher the other day. <laughs> I was such a big fan of that. Um, I just love it when riders like Grant Thomas come to the race and make, you know, they're just like, look, I am what I am. I'm going to say it how I'm going to say it. Bincher. Look, I'm sorry. His behavior over these last three weeks, it's like he's doing Le Tap with his mates. He's not, not like he's third on GC. Um... <laughs> Um, stage two, it, it's you know, it, it's a mo from what is it, MUX, MAUX, MEAUX. There you go. Yeah, um, it, it's a false flat finish. I mean, there's it's not a straightforward one, 
No, uh, as a day, I don't think it's uh, straightforward. Obviously, you get that. We've just talked about, we said it's cobbled, but you get that opening day, which is flat and goes to a sprint. And then they're straight into, again, in, in eight days, they've really had to be creative with the route and, you know, offer something to every kind of rider there is. So it's not, you know, you don't get your run of sprints. You get one sprint, day one, and then that's it. We're into, you know, sort of all round a punchy territory straight away. Yeah, and I think we, we see that more going into stage three, um, which is from, oh, the, I mean, this word is one of the hardest cities or towns to pronounce in the French language, uh, not this which one. is R-E-I-M-S. Yes, Reims, if, uh, <laughs> which it I, obviously isn't. But <laughs> this one really has to come from the back of your throat. I think it's Reims. It's, it's, it, I, I, yeah, it, I, I'm not even sure the S gets uh, any notice in there. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. this is not a French pronunciation podcast, but let's move on. Um, we'll dub this on the Champagne stage because it is very much in Champagne country. Um, on this to, Ep- to Epinay, yeah. We, we've got a spattering of Cat 4 climbs across it. But I think what's interesting, and this is a common theme throughout this race, is that there are a lot of bonus seconds on offer on kind of penultimate climbs. I like that. I like it a lot. And we, we saw in the women's tour... I mean, Elisa Longo-Borghini on that final stage in the Women's Tour in the UK in June this year, um, she won the race basically because she raced savvily um, and and took points in the bonus seconds and then out-sprinted whoever it was she was going for on the last day. Especially on a day like this. I know, yeah, it's down as a as a hilly one again, but look, there's a, some Cat 4s and a Cat 3. It makes the day interesting. Um, it, it isn't necessarily that exciting. People have a lot of opinions on sprint stages that I don't agree with at all. But I do understand that it's not the most entertaining for a lot of people to just watch them roll through the countryside for 150k and then light it up when they hit the flam rouge. And I think this, yeah, when there's stuff to compete for in the middle of the stage, it keeps things interesting, uh, keeps the riders on their toes, and it's just something a bit different. What has we got? I mean, this one it comes four kilometers from the finish. Yeah, so I know means... this one is quite it's quite back ended still, isn't it? But... No, but still, it means that that last kind of five kilometers is just going to be explosive. Mm. It's going to be somebody going over the top, and then maybe thinking, actually, I might try and steal a few more seconds going into the line here. So we'll see. I mean, stage four is another really interesting one. I think this is one of the ones that people would have starred when it came out. Um, Trois de bar sur aube, and this is the gravel day. Trois is another place that I don't like pronouncing because I saw them uh, draw four all with Newcastle about 20 years ago and I was convinced it was Troyes for years after that. And it was only when I did French properly, I was like, of course they don't pronounce it like that and it's Trois. I think we can excuse you for that, Tom. I think that's yeah. okay. Um, but yeah, this like um, this will be your favourite stage, surely, the uh, the pale imitation of Strada Bianchi. Well, look, it's yes, <laughs> but it's only 13 kilometres of gravel. Um, albeit through stunning vineyards in northeast France. Um, it's not exactly Strada Bianchi, but it will be one for the better bike handlers, and particularly those kind of one-day riders like Mariana Vos, Lotta Kopecky. So you're um, you're all right with gravel, are you, after you tried to um, eliminate cobbles from the world of cycling the last time we recorded? Look, I don't think gravel's as difficult as... Not difficult, but I don't think it's as... Um, physically taxing on the human body as cobbles uh that's just i know what you're like if you know you just you just want you need flat roads anything anything more than that and i know you struggle on the bike i've seen your segment times in france last week <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's not talk about them here um 
what annoys about the cobbles actually and i was thinking you know how you see the ami the pari rube whatever they're called that kind of yeah. fix all the cobbles and everything and they post pictures like oh look we've been doing this stretch today and we've put all the cobbles back in place and they have not put them back very well i mean they, they line them up but they still leave like a centimeter between each one I'm it like, must be really it's got to be care, intentional if you really cared about them you'd you know put them nice and compact make it easy for the riders but they don't they're, these people are treacherous people that are out here <laughs> making it difficult for everybody they need to be stopped right well the the ami of the gravel have obviously done a much better job uh because uh you think everyone's going to be safe everyone's going to have a great time and we're going to see some really exciting racing yeah look, i mean with, with gravel if you slide out what are you going to do skin your elbow with yeah. cobbles if you slide out what are you going to do break your spine entire, <laughs> shatter the entire side <laughs> of your body so I think, look, I think I stand by my argument here. Um, but I think it's been an interesting stage. I mean, the, the pure sprinters, I expect, will be shaken off in this one because there are some cat four climbs, some difficult gravelly stages. It's a nasty looking stage, to be honest. I mean, there's bonus, there's more bonus seconds available 5K from the line again, or about 5K from, have I got that right? Ted, about 9K from the line. Uh, there's four categorized climbs and four gravel sections on top of that. It's chaos. It's going to be chaos. Yeah. Stage five, a day after chaos, they've gone and given them the longest stage of the race at 175 kilometers and a bit more. Um, do you want to have a go at pronouncing where this one's to and from, Tom? So, uh, go on, use, think, your, use your French degree. I don't think this is too bad. So we start in the uh, Bar le Duc. Very nice. I, it's difficult to read that because it it, it it looks like it should say Bar de Luc, not Bar le Duc, but. Uh, Got through that to saint dier des vosges Very good. Okay. No, I should give you the harder ones, actually. I don't know why I tried Rams earlier. <laughs> um, I mean, whenever you see Vosges, I think, you know, this looks like a relatively serene stage, but you know you're heading for something nasty soon because the Vosges mountains seem to throw up a surprise whenever the tour goes there. Yeah. I mean, th this one's probably one for the sprinters again. I mean, this is, the sprinters are, you know, quite well, um, well gifted with this route, especially in the first six stages um they have really stacked the last two days of this race and we'll come on to that in just a second um but even here we, we've got sort of bonus seconds available on the col du haut du bois um 20 kilometers from the line so th there is going to be opportunities for the race to be kept interesting throughout even on a sprint day yeah i mean look Normally, when I look at a stage profile and I see category four climbs, I completely ignore them. They're, it's a meaningless category and only the heaviest riders having their worst days get spat out the back on cat four climbs. Yeah, but I think on a sprint day, a cat four climb can make a big difference, especially yeah, if you, you've got I... bad legs. And it's, I mean, some of them, I think earlier in the race, there was a cat four climb that was like 12% over like a kilometer, which mm. can be quite impactful. I think it depends where they're positioned as well. The last climb here is uh, 20k out from the finish. So even if you do lose the wheel there, you've got plenty of time to get back on. Yeah, your teammates can get you back on. That's yeah. true. Um, stage six, let's not focus too much on this one. It's another kind of lumpy one. Chance for bonus seconds en route to... Um, oh, no, on the route de Molkirch, en route to Rosheim. Again, places that I've never heard of before. But well, um, I'm excited to discover is... them. We're getting we're getting into the Alsace because all of a sudden everything's starting to sound very German. I was thinking that, and especially stage seven, which finishes in Lamarckstein Fellering. I was like, that's yeah. not exactly. I'm, I've started years and years of French, Tom, and that is not one of the words that's come up. <laughs> well, you, 
you, you've done enough French history to know that that part of France changed hands every 20 years for about, you know, half a millennium. The Germans and the French just traded the Alsace, didn't they? So there's a lot of... Um, Arsene Wenger, his first language is Alsatian. He speaks fluent German and only started speaking French when he went to school. And he was born just outside Strasbourg. So that's what they that's why it's all German there. Is that true? Yeah. So apparently he speaks Alsatian, which is some uh, form of, I don't know, low German. And then he speaks standard German. And he only started speaking French when he went to school at the age of four. That's really interesting. Yeah. Uh, and I assume he's not the only one. Uh, lots of people his age who grew up. Obviously, he's old enough to have lived around there when it probably was all uh, sort of had only just gone. It, it was returned to France after 1945, wasn't it? Uh, you're the history, history one, Tom. I just do cycling history. OK, uh, well, I'll go and start my podcast on the Franco-Prussian War somewhere else. <laughs> Well, I mean, I hope whoever on comms for this race is listening to this because they've just got a beautiful bit of trivia there for you when they want to bring in Arsene Wenger into the, into the debate. <laughs> um, but back to the race, stage seven. Yeah. Let's list that to Lamarckstein Fellering. Um, three category one climbs and then bonus second offered on the lower slopes of the final climb, the Grand Ballon, which translates as... That, that is French. Which translates as... The the big ball, by the sounds of it. The big ball, yeah. the highest point of this race. Oh, I see we go over the Petit Ballon uh, earlier in the stage as well. I assume that one's slightly smaller in stature. Well, they're both Cat 1s, actually. Okay. Uh, but the uh, the Petit Ballon is 200 metres lower than the Grand Ballon. Oh, so it's not so petit, is it? And there's the Col du Plateau Vassal in the middle, which uh, we're back with the German there. <laughs> Really sharing out the language on this stage. Yeah. Um, it, it is not a summit finish, though. And I think one of the things that disappoints me about this route, well, there are two things that disappoint me about, about this route. One of them that is that there isn't a time trial. And the second thing is that we've only got one summit finish and it comes on the last day. On the final day, yeah. Um, um, it is brutal. I mean, we've seen it very recently uh, as a summit finish. It is a horrible, horrible climb and... It, if you're a rider who was like, you know, sort of late 2000s, if you're a Contador or a Schleck, you must be delighted that you've retired when you did and you were not forced to ride up this thing. <laughs> the Super Planche de Belfi yeah. is, the name makes it sound quite friendly, I think. Well, maybe not the super bit. Yeah. Um, the super bit, to be honest, makes it sound a bit naff. But yeah, as you say, it looked absolutely brutal when we saw it in the men's race earlier this month. We saw Tadi Pogacar and Jonas Vignogor in a real kind of slugfest to the line breaking um, my heart as they rode past leonard kemner yeah um again we'll come on to that and we talk about the the men's yeah. tour de france next week tom but um let's let's just hope that your fantasy team picks up because you are in the mud at the moment oh, please, there's a big comeback coming tomorrow on the time yeah, I <laughs> um i love the idea of a grand tour coming down to a summit finish where do you stand on that tom i I don't know. I I like it. I do like the sort of processional final stage through the capital. But then when when Theo Gegenhardt won the uh, Giro, I thought a time trial on the final day is an absolutely brilliant finish as well. It is very nice to have it competitive to the end. And it really does get the heart race as well. And yeah, a summit finish like that, you know, if obviously we don't know what the situation on the road will be uh, this time next week when they're heading towards there. But um if it's close, 
and it is just going to come down to a shootout on the final climb. That will be one of the most dramatic scenes you've ever seen in cycling. Well, I think crucially, it doesn't even need to be that close. Yeah. I think if somebody like, say for the sake of argument, Annemiek van Vluten has <laughs> um, a minute and a half or two minutes distance on the rest of the group, which I mean, she doesn't really have a chance to get because there's a lot of kind of flattish stages or Very true, lumpy yeah. ones, but there's not a lot of big mountains or well, apart from stage seven to make those sort of time gaps. Or as you said, a time trial. Or a time trial. There's no time trial for that. Uh, and she's the Olympic time trial champion. Um, but this one, I think, especially when it gets to 24% slopes, if you're having a bad day, you are having a bad day. Yeah. Um, she doesn't often have bad days, so maybe it's not fair to use her as an example. But I just think if somebody's you know, absolutely flying that day, they could make up a minute and a half, two minutes. Look, speak to Primoz Roglic if you want to talk about losing a Grand Tour on these slopes. He He's the only one who's had to go through this before. So and I, I know that was a time trial. It wasn't on the road. But uh, yeah, if you're having a bad day on those gradients, you go backwards very quickly. It's brutal. It's a brutal climb. And I am one who sees a lot of these climbs and I think, oh, wow, I would love to take my bike out there and ride up that. I do not have that feeling about the Super Planche de Belfi. It's not even the it's not even the super bit that gets me. It's um when they first introduced it and Chris Froome won the 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 stage the first time they went over it. You cannot see the riders as they're coming up to the finish line. It, you you see their heads come up over the crest of the hill gradually. It is so steep when if you when the camera is going flat from the finish line down the I suppose the finishing straight. Um, it's a long time before they come into view. They're coming up and they come up. They appear over the crest of the hill so slowly. Yeah, they just emerge out of the ground. Yeah. Yeah, it is so steep. <laughs> um, Tom, I've got a little quiz for you here, if you're interested. Ooh. Yeah, I am, but um, I feel I might struggle. It's it's an all-numbers-based quiz. There are three questions. The f- I mean, To be honest, a lot of them are going to be a guess. Um, so we'll see how yeah. good you are at guessing numbers. <laughs> um, question one, how many of France's 13 regions does the race venture into? Oh, right. So... We must finish in Grand Est, and we must start in Ile-de-France. So what is in between those two? I am going to say four. The answer is three. Um, And six of the eight stages take place in the Grand Est. Yeah. Um, The final stage actually finishes in Burgundy, but like proper North Burgundy on the border of the Grand Est. So it's basically what we're looking at here is a tour of the Grand Est. And is Ile-de-France, is that a region or is that or is that just a département? That is a region. That was yeah. the other one. So yeah. Paris, Ile-de-France, uh, Grand Est and Burgundy. Um, question two. Epernay. The race goes down the Avenue de Champagne in the finale of that stage, which I think is stage three. Mm-hmm. Um, this avenue is reportedly the most expensive street in the world. Um, don't ask me how they've measured that. Okay, because um, I've... I the I know that I've always been the, my Champs Elysees stat has always been I think that is the second most expensive street to live on in the world to where to live on yeah oh, sorry I when you said on, that I thought you meant it was a, it was the second most expensive street and the first most expensive street was called Live On no 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 so the the first most expensive street I was I read this fact years ago and have repeated it at every possible opportunity so uh, the Champs Elysees is second to buy property on and I think Fifth Avenue in New York is first. Okay. Well, I haven't really done that much research and a lot of the 
kind of cheap websites I was on said that this is the most expensive street in the world, but they didn't tell me what the criteria was. In terms of there being, you know, 200,000 euro bottles of champagne buried underneath it or something. That's probably what it is. It's probably yeah. in terms of assets. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, beneath the streets, funny you should mention champagne, Tom, um, there is a network of chalk cellars that house mm-hmm. bottles of champagne. Mm-hmm. I know. How, ma- how many bottles? And here are your three options. I was going to say, this one has to be multiple choice. <laughs> Two million. Mm-hmm. 20 million. Mm-hmm. Or 200 million. You know what? It's always more than you think. I just want, I'm just i going to go for the biggest one. It's, it's, there's 200 million down there. Your gamble's paid off, Tom. There are 200 <laughs> million bottles of champagne underneath the Avenue de Champagne in Epinay. That is outrageous. Yeah, I couldn't even begin to imagine what that would look like. Um, but apparently there's a 110 kilometers network of chalk cellars under this street. Yeah, well, I can't. Well, I know, I know some of the history. I've, I've got, there's, a, there's a really good book I read a few years ago, and it talks about how um, there's a man called Dom Perignon who um, developed a bottling method for sparkling wine that stopped the glass from shattering. And that's why that's how we've got champagne now. Uh, I can't remember. I, I don't think his real name was Dom Perignon, but obviously everyone knows who I'm talking about because the champagne is still named after him to this day. Um, and I can't quite remember where I was going with this point now either. But no, um, that's right. You're showing off as a real champagne connoisseur here. Yeah, I, I don't actually like champagne. Don't like sparkling wine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, should, should we move it back onto the cycling then? With a third. Yeah, question? we can try. I might have a nice anecdote about this one as well. We'll never know. Okay. Um, between 2014 and 2021, there were eight editions of La Course. How many of them were won by Dutch riders? All of them. No. No. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, seven. Um, you know what? I forgot to write down the answer, so let me just check for you. <laughs> okay, we're reaching new levels of professionalism here. Right. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six. Six out of eight. Six out of eight. So Marianne um, Voss won the first one. Th- this was going to be a follow-up. I was going to ask you um, if you can name the riders who have won La Course. The, the Dutch riders that have won La Course. Ooh, how many are there? Four. Four. So, Marianne Voss. I assume Annemiek van Vluten. Yeah, they've got two each. Anna van der Breggen. Yeah, that's three. And... Uh, Demi Vollering. Correct. Oh, that's a clean sweep. I'm happy with that one then. Hey, we finished the quiz on a high. Well done, Tom. Yeah, um, it's gone well. Right. Now, let's continue on the theme of Demi, Demi Vollering here, Tom. Mm-hmm. What are her chances at the GC? I really don't think you can look past Annemiek van Vluten for the GC. Um, I know she's coming to the end of her, her career and she's announced her retirement, but she's definitely retiring at the top of her game. Uh, she's obviously just won Giro as well. So I think she has to be favourite and people like Demi Vollering, mm, they're going to have to pull off something very special to beat her. Yeah, I think with the Giro Donna, what we saw with Annemiek van Bluten is that she is still head and shoulders above the competition. I mean, on the stage eight, she crashed in a descent and then still got up and went on to win. Mm-hmm. Um Whenever the road went uphill, she dispatched of her GC rivals with kind of relative ease. And you'll like this, Tom, actually. She actually cited Johan Cruyff in an interview. I do like that. Um, in saying that attacking is the best form of defence. Is it total cycling? 
Yeah, basically, yeah. But the way she the way she introduced Johan Cruyff was like she was like, yeah, we've got this um, Dutch footballer called Johan Cruyff who was known for his time at Barcelona, who said this, and it was like a proper kind of academic introduction of Johan Cruyff to someone who, well, certainly you and I obviously know who Johan Cruyff is. Yeah, I love it. Um, she won Liège this year. She won Omloop this year. It is yet another vintage season for Annemiek van Vleuten, and, and I agree with you, Tom. It's difficult to look past her. But look past her, we shall. Mm-hmm. Um, I had put down Marta Cavalli as one of my big favourites for this. And then I did a bit more reading and I found out that she is there to support Cecily at Trip Ludwig, uh, who is the GC rider for FDJ. Now, I don't really understand the reasoning behind that. And I'm sure there is reasoning behind that. But she came second at the Giro Donna. She seemed to be the only one that could contest really with Annemiek van Bluten. Yeah. And... Um, She's won some races this year, which are actually quite transferable to this route. I mean, look at her win in Flesh Wallone, which is kind of a short version of La Planche des Belles Um, And she also won Amstel Gold, which is a kind of one-day race. And we have a lot of lumpy one-day race style stages in this race. So I don't understand why they haven't gone with her. Uh, maybe, she's, yeah. maybe she's just not got the legs to do two Grand Tours. <laughs> It's hard to know, isn't it, when there's only one women's grand tour and, you know, it's not as grand as, you know, they're still not doing full-length grand tours, are they, which is a shame. Um, So, and now that this race has come in, you know, there are at least two two races more than over a week long um, to really, you know, tie the legs out. We might start seeing some real grand tour specialists come to the fore um whereas i mean again it's hard to say because because annemiek van vluten has been so dominant over this form of racing as well that um it's hard to sort of analyze where where anyone else fits in at the moment yeah i mean look we, we can look at demi vollering as well i mean she's one that's being touted as a big gc rider especially for years to come i mean she won mm-hmm. the women's tour last year comfortably albeit that's a very flat race without you know the cat one climbs we've got here um, she won the tour of the Basque country at Zulia earlier this year, winning all three stages. Again, that wasn't a particularly tough parkour. Um, I think probably her win at the women's tour is fairly comparable, although it's heavily sprint focused. And we know that she's very good when it's on the flat. Um, but I think her biggest asset at this race is her team. Now, SD works have brought the full kind of troop of riders here, like the super domestiques of super domestiques. You've got Marlon Rusa, Christy Majerus, Chantal Vandenbroek Black, Ashley Mormon Passio, who could even have a dig at the GC herself if she's got good legs when it comes to the climbing. And then Lotta Kopecky. Yeah, I mean <laughs> we've talked about SD Works a lot, how as a team they are just so on it every time. Tactically they seem to be spot on. Um and that is again as we've seen um in the men's race um if you've got one rider who's completely dominant you yeah you need to use all the resources available to you as a team to go after them and try and crack them absolutely um there are a few other riders that i'm sure will fancy a chance at the gc but are probably actually just going for kind of a podium place as their best option i think one of those would be mavi garcia who you can't write off but again i don't think it's on the level of you know your van vluten's at the moment um, Cassiunivia Doma will fancy yeah. some of the punchy finishes. I've um, got Elisa Longo Borghini's name down here as well. 
I was going to say, I think it's similar for Elisa Longborghini. I think maybe she's got a better chance at placing higher on the GC. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said earlier, she won the women's tour with some very savvy racing, sweeping up bonus seconds, um, which if she does that again, that could be very beneficial. But yeah, I think, I mean, I spoke with Cassie Nivia at the women's tour earlier this year, and she was saying that there were certain stages that she'd picked out that she was hoping to win. And one of the journalists asked her which stage that was, and she very wisely did not tell us which one it was going to be. <laughs> so um, we can expect to see her go for a stage at some point. I imagine it'll be one of the punchier finishes. It probably, well, maybe even the last one, Super Launch Day Belfi. Why not? And in terms of the opening stage, who is going to take the first yellow jersey to be awarded in the women's tour in 40 years? Well, I mean, look, we could guess around and we could say, could it be Voss? Could it be Balsamo? Could it be Lotte Kopecky? Could it be Demi Vollering? But and we the know answer, it's the answer be, is no. The correct answer is Lorena Weebus. Exactly. Yeah. I think the first yellow jersey in how how many years is it? 1989? Since 89. So, so ooh, 33 three years. years. Yeah. That that is. I mean, the first yellow jersey of any tour is obviously prestigious, but this is there's something way on top of that. And uh yeah, as you said, they're gonna be fighting it out, but Assuming she gets to the line, you have to think she gets to the line first. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a shame that we didn't see her up against Balsamo and Voss at the Giro Donna. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, both of those riders took two wins each of that race, so they're obviously in good form as well. But Lorena Webers was busy in Belgium at the Balwaza Ladies Tour, where she took her 11th, 12th, 13th and 14th wins of the season. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, she was getting stuff done as well. That speaks for itself, really, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Um, a, a word on the other sprinters, though. Elisa Balsamo has only beaten Lorena Webers in a sprint once this year. Um, and that was in Bruges, Japan. And it was just a fair bunch sprint. There was no kind of reasoning for it. There wasn't like Lorena Webers got caught out or anything. Um, she came second to her twice at Ride London. So I think we know Webers has got the beating of Balsamo. Yeah. Um, Voss is the one that's a bit of a dark horse, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's worth saying after this that of the eight stages, I think there are probably only two that will finish in sprints anyway. So after the first one, there's not much for the sprinters to to go for anyway. Yeah, and this is why I think it will favour riders like Lotta Kopecky, Emma Norsgaard, who are more kind of ruler-style sprinters, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like they fancy a punchier finish or a bit more challenging terrain before because they're more powerful. Um, so, I mean, there is very much stages for everybody here. Yeah, which uh, I think is something they've done really well to in eight stages to get a route as as varied as it is. When, as we've said, they're not actually, you know, they're in a very thin wedge of northeastern France. So to to get the variation in that they have done, I'm I'm I think it looks like a great route. And I'm yeah, really looking forward to it. Absolutely, me too. I've dusted off my passport. Well, I say dusted off. I was using it last week, yeah. but I've got it back out because I'm off to Paris tomorrow afternoon. I know. On the Eurostar, off you go. And uh, you'll be covering day one. I'll be covering day one. I'll be there. Um, very excited for it, actually. Um, I think it'll be good fun. I mean, I've been to Paris before for the Tour de France, but I mean, this day is going to be a full festival of cycling. I mean, the women's race, I think, starts around half one local time. Um, and then basically, it's just like flat out racing on the Champs Elysees until like eight o'clock in the evening. It is great. And I do, I've said this before, I like the way um, they, they put the women's first because um, I think previously, you know, you've had the women come in uh, after the men and it, it does feel like 
you know some sort of like sort of after the lord mayor's show thing where it's you know everyone's there to watch the men and then the women don't get given the attention they deserve and i think when you do it this way round it really works you'll have the crowds there and yeah on the whole just the the way they've organized this um to give to give the sport the exposure that it needs is uh is to be commended it's a step in the right direction anyway yeah and i, th- I think a lot of that is you know due to ASO putting finally after so many years actual serious backing and serious organization organization into a race mm-hmm. but also I think in in terms of the sponsors I mean we've got Zwift who have come on board and they have fully dedicated to it um I mean they've supported women's racing for years now they've got um their talent academy that they do with Canyon SRAM um that they've done for years they've like I, I think I was speaking with Kate Verono who is the director of women's strategy at Zwift recently and she was saying that Zwift is actually a platform that I mean I'm not doing like PR for them here this is what she said and I found it interesting (laughs) um Zwift is a platform that women tend to flock to because riding a bike out on the road can be scary and finding mates to ride with on the road that are also like you and a woman and starting cycling Mm -hmm. can also be quite intimidating so she was like a lot of women organize group rides on Zwift so, I mean, it's a platform that is, you know, really involved in the kind of the ethos of it and wants to grow women's cycling. And she said as well, which I think is true, she was like, this is actually just a really good, you know, aside from the, our responsibility to kind of mediatize women's cycling and grow the profile of it, it's also just a really good business opportunity for them. It's, yeah, good for on, on both sides. Yeah, I mean, it's going to draw more people to their brand and it's one that people enjoy. So good for them. And also other cycling platforms are available. Yeah, I don't actually really know any others, but um, neither do I. But I have yeah. to say that, <laughs> um, Tom. Where can people follow whatever we have to say about the Tour de France fam avec Swift? Uh, they can, as always, go to at ttpdcst on Twitter and Instagram. That is correct. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, I need to get packed. I don't, but I will be watching on Sunday afternoon, looking out for you on screen. So you'll have to tell me where on the on the Place de la Concorde you've managed to situate yourself and uh, I'll be scanning the crowds. Ah, that's very sweet of you, Tom. I'll let you know. Um, a pleasure as always chatting with you and thank you very much to everybody for tuning in and we hope you enjoy the Tour de France fam avec Zwift as much as we are expecting to. Take care. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>